Welcome to the Crossroad International Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Today we're going to be talking about uh, raising kids when it's harder than you thought. One, or Sorry, 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who built it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. I want to ask you, is God building your home? Is God guarding your house? Because if we build it and we guard it in our own strength, then we're doing it in vain. It is vain, okay? How many of you are not mourning people? Okay, here's your scripture. Okay? It is vain for you to rise up early. (laughs) Now, how many of you like to go to bed early? Okay, here's your scripture. It is vain to sit up late. Amen? Hallelujah. And to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. What he's saying is, if we're doing it in our own strength, it doesn't matter how early we get up or how late we go to bed. It's all in vain if we're doing it in our own strength. God must be building our family. Like arrows, or behold, children, verse 3, are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children's of one youth. Verse 5. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they will speak with their enemies in the gate. So the Bible invites us to parent with a plan. My wife and I have been married in a couple of months, 43 years. Our firstborn is 40. We have a 38-year-old daughter and a 34-year-old son. So my kids are older than some of you. And we survived raising kids. Yeah, just barely. (laughs) You know, I didn't have Dell's advice when I was raising mine that you can duct tape them to the wall. <laughs> I love that illustration, dude. Yeah. 
You know, and he said, when you do it, make sure they're fully closed so you don't leave any tape marks on them. <laughs> but see, my father believed in raising us up in the fear of the Lord. My very first day of school, I'm six years old. My dad is my bus driver. And we arrive at school, and he says, son, just stay in your seat till everybody else gets off. So all the other kids get off, and my dad says, come with me. So I'm six years old. He, he leads me by the hand, and he takes me into Uncle Joe, who was the principal. And he stood me in front of his desk, and he said, Joe, if this boy does anything wrong, I want you to tan his hide. Do you know what I mean by that? And he says, I want you to leave a mark. And then I want you to tell me because he gets home, I'm going to put a mark right beside the ones you put. And Joe says, okay, Donald, I'll do that. And my dad looks at me and said, you understand that boy? Uh, yes, sir. He said, then go to class, have a good day. <laughs> See, he had a plan. <laughs> and I knew he had a plan, but here's the kicker. I knew he was a man of his word. And if he made the threat, he was going to stick to it. See, we can be intentional with our children by raising them to fulfill their godly purpose. Imagine an arrow with three guiding feathers. You can go to the next slide there, Joe. The next one. One more. Okay. Most arrows have three guide feathers that allow them to fly straight and accurate. The Bible says that our kids are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. And we want to look at these three feathers today. The first feather is a godly life. The second one is a blessed life. And the third one is a consecrated life. Now, these are aspects that we need to have in our life as parents but we also need to build them into our children. So this first feather, a godly life, I want to make a statement. Teach your children to be godly rather than successful. Amen? Teach your kids to be godly rather than successful. See, Jesus invites us to live a life of freedom from the success syndrome of the Pharisees. You look at the Pharisees throughout Scripture, and they were always worried about their appearance. They were worried about their wealth. They were worried about their fame, and they were worried about their power. They needed to walk right, talk right, dress right, and make sure they had status before the people. So what are some enemies of godliness? The world says that our worth comes from 
our wealth, what you owned. The world says our worth comes from our appearance, how you look, or what you wear. The world says our worth comes from fame. What do other people think about me? Or the world says our worth comes from our power. Who do I have control over? So I want to ask you as a parent, do you have any of these attitudes or desires in your life? Are you teaching your kids that it's about what you make or what you have? Or it's about how you look? We need to teach them to be godly rather than successful. The other enemy of godliness is the flesh. You must be the God of your life, the flesh says. You must divide a strategy to survive, to have worth and success. Now, parents, be very careful that you do not force your children into a mold that you have for them, but you allow them to fulfill God's destiny on their life. I've met a lot of parents that have their kids' life mapped out from them, and this is what you're going to be. Give you a testimony. Our oldest son, we knew when he was about three years old, or four, or somewhere in there, that he was one day going to work with us in the ministry. But we never told him that. We never pushed him to be in ministry. We said, Jacob, you can be whatever God wants you to be. And his desire was this, to graduate from university and get a job where he made a lot of money and didn't have to work. He's 40 years old and he's still looking for it. <laughs> and then he went to work. He was making good money. He was working for a Fortune 500 company in St. Louis, Missouri in the U.S., making close to a six-figure salary, if not that. And I took over the Global 12 Project, which was a church planting project. We were planting churches all around the world. At that time, about every minute and a half, we were planting a church somewhere in the world. And I needed an administrator. So I called him and I said, Jacob, I need an administrator. Would you come work for me? He said, let me pray about it, Dad. And he called and said, yes, I'll come. So we offered him a salary of about maybe a third of what he was making, and he accepted it. So when he went to his boss and gave his notice, they offered him a huge raise if he would stay. And he said, no, I've got to go do this. God's called me into the ministry. 
So when he came to interview for the job with my pastor, the pastor asked him, Jacob, my da your dad told me what you've given up to come take this job, why? And at that time, he was, I can't remember, somewhere around 30, 31. And he said, well, Pastor Larry, he says, I'm 30 years old. I'm making all the money that I want. I'm doing a job that I like. I sell chemicals to research scientists, and one day one of them is going to find a cure for cancer. And I could say I played a part. But that same guy went and ate lunch at McDonald's so they could say they paid a part. He said, but I know if I come to work at Global 12 Project, every day when I come to work, souls are saved, churches are planted, and lives are changed around the world. And he says, I'm 30 years old, and I'm tired of living my life for things that don't matter. Well, with an answer like that, he got the job on the spot. But what I'm saying is this. We knew from a young age that he was going to work with us in ministry. But we never forced him into that mold. We let him do and find his own way. So parents, make sure you allow your children to find their own way. And then the last enemy of godliness is the devil. He is, oh, go back to that slide. Okay, parents, make sure you do not force your kids into a mold you have made for them. You see the pair? That's what it's supposed to look like. But I found these things that you can buy and put on your fruit, and you can make the fruit look like whatever the mold is. They had square watermelons and watermelons that looked were shaped like a heart. They had perfectly round apples, a Buddha pear, all these different things because you put the mold around the fruit and you force it into the image that you want. Don't do that to your children. Amen? Okay, next slide, Joe. The enemy of godliness, the devil. He is the accuser. He lets you know you fail too many times. You'll never succeed. And he says, give up on God. But let me tell you, the devil is a liar. And God will always pick you up if you repent. A godly life comes from humility. Matthew chapter eleven twenty nine says, Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's two ways to walk in humility. We can humble ourselves, or God can humble us. And I found it's much easier when I humble myself. Because normally when God does it, I go through some things. I found out that sometimes God's like my dad was on that first day of school. Because the Bible says God disciplines them whom he loves. If you've never been disciplined by God, 
Maybe you need to examine your relationship with him because God does discipline those that he loves. So walk in humility or God will have a way of humbling you. Godliness or a godly life comes through gratitude. Luke seven seventeen to 18. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not many found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? We must teach our kids to live a life of gratitude, to live a life of being thankful for what they have, not always complaining about what they don't have. I had a friend, a missionary friend in Kenya, and their boys, when they got to high school, were always complaining that they didn't have all of the designer clothes that the other missionary kids had. And so the parents said, well, when you get out of the house and you go back to America and you get a job, you can buy all of those designer clothes that you want. And so they said, okay. They got out of high school, went back to the States, got in university, got a job, and guess what? They found out how much all that stuff cost. And then they didn't want it anymore. Amen? And they told their parents, thank you for teaching us to be content and to have an attitude of gratitude about what we had, not always looking at what others had. Godliness also comes from generosity. Acts 20, 35, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. I don't need to say much on this because this is a very generous church, but do we teach our kids to be generous? It was really cool because we only had one box today. We were all kind of ganged up around there. And I love seeing the families coming together and the kids putting the offering in the box. You are teaching your children to be generous. And lastly, godliness comes from servanthood. Matthew 20, 27 to 28. And whoever desires to be the first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let me speak to some dads and some husbands in here with little kids. And your wife is at home with them all day. And you're at work working really hard all day. Well, guess what? When you come home, your wife needs to have some conversations with more than one-syllable words. You have given all of your words that you have to speak at work, and she's talking about potty training and all of these things to a little kid, and, you know, she comes home and you walk in the door. She's been disciplining the kids all day, and, you know, she's the enemy. You walk in the door, and the hero has arrived, and they run up, and, oh, Dad, and... 
hey, I've been through this. I know what I'm talking about. So, hey, dads, take some pressure off your wife from time to time and just get over yourself and let her talk and have some meaningful discussion and take the kids from time to time and give her a day off. You know, for us, it was even more, and for some of you, the same, in that my wife not only was mom, but she was teacher at homeschool. So she was with them 24-7 because she was mom and teacher. They never left the house. So we had a program. I was out ministering on the weekends. I would come back on Tuesday. When I got home, it didn't matter where they were in school. We took the rest of the day off and went to the beach to have time together as a family. Servanthood. Guys, serve your wives and serve your kids. Moms, serve your husbands and serve your kids. Guys, there's nothing wrong with you walking in the kitchen if your wife allows you to. Now, allows you to. And doing the dishes from time to time or cooking from time to time. Now, maybe your family doesn't want you to cook from time to time, but you need to learn. Amen? So we need to be servants. The second feather that helps us guide their lives toward God's purpose is a blessing. A blessed life. Numbers 6, 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift you up and his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then Genesis 27, 34. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me also, O my father. Here's how we bless our children. We bless them through our spoken words. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearer. Parents, you need to be very careful how you speak to your children and what words you speak over them because your kids want to please you. And if all they ever hear is, you're not going to succeed, you're going to fail in everything you do, you'll never do good in school, guess what? That's what they'll do. Because they really do want to please you. They want to be what you say they're going to be. So we need to be careful that the words we speak over our kids are words of life and words of encouragement and words that will lift them up and edify them. We also bless our kids through a meaningful touch. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them, and he departed from there. Touch. 
It's been proven that kids in some of the orphanages in third world countries that get no touch from adults, they don't grow up and develop properly because we need touch. Some of your cultures, dads don't have a lot to do with the kids and touch them. So I just want to encourage you, there's nothing wrong with hugging your kids and kissing your kids. My dad passed away when he was 92 years old, but every time I saw him, he would give me a big kiss, not on the cheek, on the lips, because I was still his baby. Okay? And let me just say this. It's okay to embarrass your kids in public by showing affection to them? Come on now. And all the kids said, yes! No? They're shaking their head. Also, we bless our kids by an estimation of high value. Psalms 139, 13, and 14. For you, saw, you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb, and I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. You need to let your kids know that they have a high value in your eyes. That they are a heritage from God and they are precious. Let your kids know that they are more important than your job and they are more important than even the ministry. I remember one time in Kenya, I had a whole class full of bachelor students, and we were in the middle of class, and I got a call from my youngest son's school that he was having problems and needed me. So I told this class, I still had about three hours of class to go, I said, look, guys, I just got a call from my son's school, so I'm going to leave you because I hate to tell you this, but my son is more important than you are. And I said, I may be back to finish the class. I may not, and we may meet tomorrow. We may not, but my kids are more important than this class is. And my kids understood that. And they only called if they was a real emergency, but they knew that I would drop whatever I was doing for them. I've talked to a lot of kids that don't serve God, and they say, I will not serve a God that stole my dad. Whether their dad was in ministry or working, he had time for everybody else. Work would call, and he would be there. Someone at church would call, and he would be there. But I would try to get his attention, and he was too busy for me. And then we bless our kids by the picture of a preferable future. Jeremiah 1.5, let your kids know before they were formed in the womb, Jesus knew them. Before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. 
God has a plan for each of our kids before they were ever born, and we let, need to let them know that, that God has a preferred future for them. Ephesians 2.10, For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then we bless them by a commitment to see all of these things fulfilled. Proverbs 22.6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. After I gave my heart to the Lord and was called into ministry, my father used to tell me many times that that was the scripture that he stood on. Because I graduated from high school at 16, went in the military at 17, got mixed up with the wrong crowd, drugs and alcohol and some of those things, and I was anywhere but close to God. And I grew up in church. In my father's home, if you lived there and ate his food and slept in his bed, you went to church every Sunday. And I had a perfect Sunday school record. Never missed because my dad was the treasurer of the church and he was there every Sunday. So, so were we. But I was so far away from God. I remember at 15, sometimes I would get so hung over on Saturday night that I'd have to call my dad to come get me because I was too drunk to drive home, and he said, I will kill you if you drive my car drunk. And I knew he was a man of his word, so I would call him to come get me. But on Sunday morning, I was in Sunday school. I knew my Bible verse. I had perfect marks. I had my teacher fooled. I had my pastor fooled that I was really walking with Jesus. But two people knew the truth. Me and God. When they are old, they'll not depart from it. If you see your kids going astray, just stand on this scripture and continue, continue to pray for them if you train them up in the way they should go. Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So dads, we need to make sure that we have an atmosphere in our home where our kids know that they're loved and they know that we care about them. And then lastly, Deuteronomy eleven eighteen to 19. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. And bind them as signs on your hand that they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. How many of you have your cell phone close? Pull it out, hold it up. For some of you on the side... There is a button that's called the power button. For some of you, there's a button on the top that's called a power button. So whether it's on the side or the top, press it for me and hold it. If yours is like mine, it comes up and it says, power off. 
Well, push that button that says power off. And guess what? It turns this thing off. Amazing. So, when you are sitting down with your children in your house, or when you are walking with them by the seashore, or when you lie down with them, or when you rise up with them, turn it off. So that they understand that they're more important to you than Facebook or WhatsApp or Twitter or Instagram or what are some others? I mean, I don't even know them all. They're everywhere. But we need to make sure that this we put into our kids' lives. The third feather, lastly, is the consecrated life. 1 Samuel 1, I will take him and present him before the Lord. That's Hannah for Samuel. We need to make sure that we present our kids to God. Exodus 32:29. Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. See, as a parent... I am invited to place each of my sons and my daughter back in the hands of God who gave them life and gave them to me. As parents, I understand that I am a steward of the children God has placed in my care, and they are not mine, they belong to Him. So when you get to the place that you just want to... You know, you want to take Mark Twain's advice, Samuel Clemens. He said, here's the way to raise children. When they are born, you put them in a barrel. And you feed them through the hole in the barrel. When they turn 13, you plug the hole up. Now, sometimes we want to do that. Sometimes we do want to duct tape them to the wall. Sometimes we just want to... But we have to remember they're not ours. They're God's, and we're just stewards for a short time. We commit them to His plan and purpose in an act of surrender and trust. Rick, you want to come up? Rick's got a testimony of one of his kids that he just had to turn him over to God and let God work out a situation. I was uh, had a hard year with my family. I think most of you probably, if you've been around me, you know we've had a hard year with the family. With the, with the kids, but I wanted to share something that was very positive that had happened only recently, and it's right along the lines of what Pastor's talking about. My oldest son, James, was divorced last year, and he has been divorced long enough, he's feeling comfortable enough to start dating again. And he started dating, he was actually trying to figure out what to do about it, because he was falling in love 
he just adored the lady, but he knew in his heart that that really wasn't gonna should probably not gonna work real well. So he called me and asked me about it. And what we did was we ended up explaining to him the difficulties of across cultural or cross religious marriages that you know you can't avoid these things you don't have to live through the difficulties if you choose a mate that believes as you do and not to mention scripture scripturally there's evidence that that's what god intended but i could tell that james was not listening have you ever had that happen to you to with your kids okay james was not listening real well but he did break it off with the lady and then but three days later he went back i said oh my goodness god and and so judy and i talked about it and i said okay james is not listening to us okay what are we going to do well what we did was we we just got on our knees and cried out to god and said help I said, James, I told James, I said, you know what we think. I said, but James, you need to go to God and find out what God thinks. I said, and I will pray for you that when you figure out what God wants you to do, that you'll have the courage to do it. Because sometimes sometimes uh, doing what God wants takes a lot of courage. Well, anyway, we, we talked with him about it. James started talking to me quite a bit lately, and I'm very thankful for that. But he was so excited and falling deeper and deeper in love with this lady. And I'm just, oh, oh goodness, God. And I was, I was willing to acknowledge, well, God, if this is what you want, I'll accept it. I said, but I don't think it's what you want. And so I said, would you please get a hold of James and, and help him to understand? But I kept seeing James go deeper and deeper. And he was even, now this is a, this is a young man that, that has got his life fairly well together considering what he's recently been through. But he knows that you're not supposed to go live with a woman without being married. But he was actually willing to lay that down. And I said, what on earth is he thinking? And so, you know, the, the prayers are getting more and more intense. You can just imagine what it was like. And uh, anyway, the, the story, the, what, what ended up happening is James was falling in. God had told him what he wanted him to do. But God didn't have, I mean, but James did not have the courage to do it. And then, I, then out of the blue, God touched the heart of the lady. And she broke the relationship off. And I'm going, oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> okay. And, and, uh, and then James, once, once the relationship was broken off by the lady, he realized what he was doing. And he said, Dad, he said, I didn't have, I didn't have the, the courage to stop. 
I was so, so far into it that I was willing to give up my faith for the love of a woman. And he said, but he said, and I knew it wasn't the right thing to do, but I was going to do it anyway. He said, but God saved me. God protected me. Now, the reason I wanted to tell you this today is to give you hope and, and a story to remember about how God sometimes, when the kids are falling off the cliff, that sometimes God sends an angel and picks them up before they hit the ground. And this is what God did with James. James, is like, James was going to dive, going into a nosedive, and he sent an angel and changed, or, or God changed the heart of the woman since James wasn't accepting the, the, what, was God, what God was saying. So that's, that's my story. God, to God be the glory. We were praising God so much. But, you know, sometimes God protects us from ourselves by doing things outside our control. And uh, I want to close with just saying that adult children must make up their own minds. Sometimes they will make mistakes, but never stop praying and never stop trusting that God can rescue them. And sometimes he, he will. Okay? Uh, sometimes he says, wait. Sometimes he says, no, not right now. But sometimes he says, yes. And in my case, praise the Lord, he stopped a tragedy from happening. And my, and my son gives God the glory for it. So, thank you. So sometimes we just have to trust God and put, it, put our kids in his hands and know that God will take care of them. I just commit my kids to God, to his plan and purpose as an act of surrender and trust. Our kids grew up in Africa. When they graduated from high school, they had to go back to university and so we just had to travel the 8,000 miles, get them started in university, drop them off, and then we went back to Africa. I can recommend that. It's hard to call mom and dad when they're 8,000 miles away and you need something. They have to kind of stand on their own. But we knew that we had raised our kids the best that we could and that they would stand for God. And our kids have done good. I mean, I'm not saying we didn't have problems. We did. I remember we put our daughter in university, came home one time, and she had a tongue ring. And she wanted to get a reaction out of us. So she would talk like, hey, Dad, uh, Dad, what? And no comment, no reaction didn't even recognize the tongue ring was there. A few days later, it was gone. Sometimes, parents, you just need to turn a blind eye, let them be kids, and pray, God, give them some sense, please. Amen? If you do what the book calls us to do, you don't have to worry about them. Amen?
Now, some of you here are single. You're not married yet. You don't have kids, but you want to be. So remember this. Some of us are like Rick and I and some others, and all of our kids are grown and out of the house, but guess what? They're still our kids. We have now, we give them advice, but they have to make their own decisions. So let me pray for you. Robin, if you want to come up. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that sometimes raising kids is a lot harder than we thought it would be. Father, I can even remember thinking, even before I was married, of all of the things that I would not do that I, when I had kids like my dad did or my mom did and got married, had kids and did just what they did because that's what I knew. But Father, I ask that you would help us to get in your word and Father, to make our kids, our family, priority number one after our relationship with Christ. Father, help us to understand that our family comes before our work, our ministry, volunteering in the church, everything that we do for you. Our family is our number one ministry and our number one priority. Father, we thank you that you will help us to raise our kids to be godly rather than successful. Teach them to live a blessed life and a consecrated life. And Father, that they can be all that you have called them to be. And Father, please help us not to force our children into a mold that we have desired them to be. But help them to seek your face and hear your voice and do what you have called them to do. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.